This is The Guardian. The Metropolitan Police opened an investigation into goings-on in Downing Street, while the Prime Minister's allies claim he was ambushed by a birthday cake. I'm Heather Stewart, political editor of The Guardian, and this is Politics Weekly. So since he acknowledges the ministerial code applies to him, will he now resign? It's been yet another dramatic week in Westminster, with fresh allegations of lockdown parties in Downing Street emerging as we wait with bated breath for the findings of Sue Gray's inquiry. Boris Johnson's defenders have been resorting to ever more desperate excuses, with one minister, Connor Burns, claiming a birthday sing-song was effectively an ambush. And what I can tell you this morning is that as a result, firstly, of the information provided by the Cabinet Office inquiry team, and secondly, my officer's own assessment, I can confirm that the Met is now investigating a number of events that took place at Downing Street and Whitehall. The Metropolitan Police have decided to investigate some of the numerous Downing Street parties which they'd previously refused to do. We take these allegations extremely seriously. I took them uh, very seriously when they were raised with me 18 months ago. Very glad there's uh, an investigation uh, taking place now. Away from Partygate, the Prime Minister was forced to order an inquiry on Monday after a former Tory minister went public with allegations that she was told her Muslimness had contributed to her sacking. So what's next? That's all in this week's Politics Weekly. Apologies to our listeners if it seems like we're talking about number 10 parties every week at the moment. Uh, The revolution simply won't stop. And now the police are involved. So to try and get to grips with what exactly is happening, I'm joined by Guardian columnist and host of Politics Weekly Extra, Jonathan Friedland. Jonathan, on Tuesday, we had this extraordinary news, didn't we, that the Metropolitan Police are now looking into events in Downing Street. How how did you think that sort of changes Boris Johnson's position? Well, in any normal world, that would be a a huge thunderbolt out of the sky that would often fell a prime minister. Just to be under police investigation would be such a mark of cane on a political leader uh, that it would be hard to recover from it. So bizarre has this story become that in a strange way, it was greeted by some Conservatives almost as good news because they thought it meant they could draw this out and stretch it out much longer because you know how they've for the last few weeks been able to say well we can't talk about that we've got to wait for Sue Gray well this would now give them a new one which is well obviously I can't say anything about that because it's the subject of a police investigation and as we know police investigations take a long time so I think there were some who thought okay well this gets it into the long grass and maybe the police will only report you know in May or something and they can say well all that's in the past so I think you and I are both old enough to remember a time where a prime minister being under police investigation would in and of itself be catastrophic. And yet Boris Johnson is in so deep that uh, it, it hasn't played on their side, at least quite like that. He's in so deep. And also he's someone who doesn't play by the sort of accepted rules of politics or the sort of accepted constraints of the constitution, isn't he? I mean, I had colleagues asking me yesterday, you know, surely he'll have to resign. Well, of course, you know, as you say, in any sort of normal world, you might have thought he would, but he's he's not that man, is he? I think that's completely right. I mean, I once wrote a piece actually about Donald Trump just saying, never underestimate the power of a man with no shame. Because if you're not embarrassed and if you don't feel shame, then that puts you in a pretty strong position because where other people would just be mortified by the idea of being under 
police investigation and they would walk. That, that, that wasn't the case with Donald Trump and it's not the case with Boris Johnson. So the usual idea that you can rely on norms or conventions, sort of gentlemen's agreements, I don't think it's like that with, with him. And just as it was with Trump, where you actually have to look at the law if you're going to think about what might push somebody out. And it turns out the law is actually only as strong as the people who enforce it, which in this case might well end up being, outside the police investigation, just end up being his own MPs. Well, then that gives you a lot of power if you're Boris Johnson, if you're ready to brazen it out. And so far, that has seemed to be his mode. And Jonathan, I've just rushed upstairs to the Guardian's Westminster office from the chamber, the House of Commons chamber, where I was watching Prime Minister's questions. And it was very clear from that, I think, from Johnson's performance, what his approach is going to be. It certainly is brazening out, isn't it? And it's also pointing to lots of other you know, achievements of his government and things they want to be allowed to get on with and sort of suggesting that by, by continuing to press the questions about parties and so on, Labour's, you know, just sort of trying to score political points. We're launching a plan tomorrow, Mr Speaker, to get half a million people off welfare into work. It's a fantastic idea. I hope he supports it. Yeah, I think, and he's taking his cue, I think, the Prime Minister, from that front page of the Daily Mail. They did a front page suggesting the nation's lost all sense of proportion, because really what we should be talking about is Ukraine. And Boris Johnson went on that as if trying to, again, shame Keir Starmer. He talks about the most serious issue before uh, the public today and before the world today. It's almost as though he was in ignorance of the fact, uh, Mr Speaker, that we have a crisis on the borders of Ukraine. And I, as if, look, here you are obsessing about cake and birthday parties when there are big things afoot. So, of course, you should stop bothering me about the, uh, these minor matters and be and let me be the big statesman talking about Ukraine. On its face, it works quite well because, obviously, a war in Ukraine is a bigger deal than having a slice of cake. But the counter-argument is, of course, it's not about cake. It's about this much bigger principle, which is that you, everybody, is subject to the law and those who write the rules have to abide by them. And indeed, there have been some Conservative commentators around and about this week saying that is the principle that's at stake even in Ukraine, actually. It's a basic tenet of democracy that you have to be, the leaders must be subject to the same rules as though they lead. But yes, yeah, superficially, it gives. it was an attempt by Boris Johnson, amazingly, to have a bit of moral high ground and say, I'm the terribly serious man and you, Keir Starmer, are obsessed with trivia. I think in terms of their two respective brands, most people think it's sort of the other way around. But sitting there watching it, it did appear to be working at least superficially with Conservative MPs or those who had turned up. So um, unlike some recent weeks, a lot of them had turned up, it seemed to me, to support Boris Johnson. They were very, very noisy. It's one of the things you realise when you're actually in there from watching it on TV is that it's even noisier than it appears. And I thought the Tory benches were in particularly loud this week. There's a lot of shouting, there's a lot of banging of benches, a lot of yelling of more when, when you know, Boris Johnson made one of these points. I mean, of course, doesn't necessarily mean that those very same people might not be considering sending in a, vote of, a, a letter calling for a vote of no confidence. But there is at least some sense of, of a public show of support for him by Conservative MPs, isn't there? Yes. And I think his own performance sort of reflected that. He was more high energy. He didn't do that downbeat crestfallen look that you and I will both remember from that interview with Beth Rigby a few days back where he looked absolutely downcast he was instead giving it high energy and he can do that but yeah I mean the people behind him you really wouldn't want to trust 
that as any kind of indicator, again, um, showing my age, I do remember even as Tories were plotting the downfall of Margaret Thatcher, they were full-throatedly shouting their support and waving their order papers for her in the House of Commons. I think they even did it straight after they defenestrated her too. I mean, they, you know, the, the Tory in public and the Tory in private are two very different animals. And yes, they put on a show today and that will, uh, I, I think, at least, you know, give pause to some of the plotters wondering whether they have the numbers. But yeah, I think it was a show rather than anything, anything more. And Jonathan, we've seen quite different approaches when it comes to that from his potential rivals, haven't we? So Liz Truss, who is seen as what one sort of one of the front runners, if there were a leadership race to be triggered, she's very much gone for it. She keeps saying it herself. In fact, she 100% supports the prime minister. She was sitting there very close to him today. You know, she, she's been very, very defensive of him. Rishi Sunak, another potential contender, a little bit more, a little bit quieter, I would say, and, and, and not so much out there on the media um, defending him. Completely right. And I think that's an interesting difference of who's looking at the party and who's looking at the party, meaning Conservative Party rather than birthday party, and who's looking at the country. So I think Liz Truss is thinking, I don't get this job unless Tories vote for me, and they will reward loyalty to Boris Johnson. A lot of them will feel angry that Boris Johnson, if he goes, was driven out by the liberal media and so on. I think Rishi Sunak might be thinking, having one eye on assuming he gets the job on persuading the country that he's something different and he's not tainted by the man he hopes would be his predecessor. And so I thought that was that is my reading of the difference. Since we're talking about public performance, I do notice how very absent Michael Gove is, um, fellow bus rider and campaigner in the famous Brexit campaign of 2016, Famously, again, you know, stabbed Boris Johnson in the front, attacking him just when there was that Tory leadership election. You don't hear much from him either. And that, too, has crossed my mind. But, yeah, I think your reading uh, of, of the difference between Truss and Sunak is really striking. And, Jonathan, we, we don't yet, as we speak, have this the sort of fabled, as it is now, Sue Gray report, do we? We've all been waiting. And, and Johnson's line for some weeks now has been, I can't possibly comment on this. We need to wait for Sue Gray, that's the senior civil servant, to do this, to carry out her work, to investigate these gatherings that may or may not have happened in lockdown in Parliament. We're still waiting for that, aren't we? How much difference does that make when it comes? Or, or do you think we're sort of past that point now that we know that she have found enough evidence to, to pass it on to the Met and, and trigger a police investigation? Well, it, it, actually, the answer to that does depend on what's in it, because if that's all it says, then you're right. There's no hard news in it, because we already got that in a way from Cressida Dick. Um, yesterday, the Commissioner of the Met saying exactly that, and, and, and also the Met spelling out what the criteria were for making the judgment they've made. And I notice Keir Starmer deliberately unpacked that. The police spelt out that what they meant by that, that those involved knew or ought to have known what they were doing was an offence. So, yeah, if it's only that, then you're right. But if there is, you know, who knows, a new party that we didn't know about, um, some other much more smoking gun, you know, that actually puts him in the room, perhaps at an occasion where we didn't know he was in the room, or even if, if very, very coded, some sort of hint of what she herself thinks of what Boris Johnson has done. And I've been told by one former Mandarin that you, what you want to look for are the juxtapositions, meaning what facts does Sue Gray choose to put side by side in the report? She won't deliver a judgment. She's not in that role. That's not her remit. She won't say guilty or innocent. But if she puts two facts alongside each other that show clearly 
what Keir Starmer actually was driving at today, that, for example, the Prime Minister misled Parliament. You know, two statements. On December 1st, he said this. On X date, he did this. And almost inviting the reader, inviting those MPs to see that therefore he misled Parliament. Well, that could be very damaging indeed. So that's a that requires a bit of between the lines reading, but not much. And there may be some of that. So, you know, we're not just waiting for Godot. It could actually deliver. And, you know, but as yet, as you and I speak, we don't know. And sort of playing out what might possibly happen, you could then, do you think, get a scenario in which there were enough letters put into Graham Brady, the chair of the 1922 committee, 54 is the is the threshold. We, we could, could we get a situation in which a vote of no confidence in Boris Johnson is triggered? Um, and were he to, to lose that, he would be out, wouldn't he? Yeah, that's the sequence. You know, at the moment, one doesn't get the feeling that the rebels are terrifically well organised. And it's, uh, you know, it has been a little bit chaotic. And so you wonder if there could be a lot of anger, and yet somehow it doesn't find its outlet because they, they just sort of cock it up. I wouldn't rule that out. But if there is something that is, you know, not quite a smoking gun, but a smoking juxtaposition on the lines I was saying, that may even overcome the lack of organisation of the rebels if there is a wave of, I wouldn't say disgust. I don't think, that, you know, frankly, they've give, given all they've seen, I, I don't think you'd be wise to look for moral outrage on the Tory side. You know, <laughs> they haven't been outraged yet. But rather, if they look at it and go, there is no way I'm going to be able to uh, explain that to my constituents. That's the calculation that would do him in. Uh, otherwise, you know, yeah, it's possible that he fights on. It was very helpful for him that Sue Gray hadn't delivered the report ahead of 12 noon today. It would have been really hard for him, I think. Uh, it, it made things much easier for him to have a PMQs where he could just wheel out the line. We still don't know, you know, vaccine rollout, subject verb vaccine rollout. That's his favourite sentence. Yeah, I think that's right. And we've seen lots of public appearances, haven't we, in recent weeks where he's, I mean, he's visited an awful lot of hospitals and vaccination centres and so on, because he's obviously hoping to sort of recapture that mood of last spring, isn't he, where the Conservatives were riding fairly high in the polls and partly because everybody was feeling so relieved to be, you know, coming out of lockdown. And here was this vaccine which was going to sort of save us all. Is there a sense, he's a great political fighter, isn't he? And he's known for being able to sort of withstand and, and come back from blows that other politicians just wouldn't. Is there a scenario in which he somehow gets through this? He fights on, and his his popularity somehow regains his popularity. Do you think, or or, or is this is is he toast really? Well, because it's him, you wouldn't uh, yet want to sort of pass the uh, or I'll say the last rights for Boris Johnson politically yet, because because he is able to wriggle out of things, and he's got I think you know that amoral gift, which is he knows no shame, and I think that has spread actually. I think the a lot of the Conservative MPs who would once have been shamed by being led by such a man are no longer capable of being shamed so that means i think it's very you know it is plausible he soldiers on at least until may if they get absolutely you know shellacked in these elections in may then that may you may see some of this reopen uh, and as i say it depends a bit what the police find and it very much does depend on what sue gray finds but yeah there is a scenario in which he carries on and they say vaccine rollout and ukraine and they just hope the media and you've seen the daily mail already out there and others say look there's other things and time to get on and do you think Labour, in a way, would be quite relieved if he does sort of struggle on? I wonder what you, what you make of how Keir Starmer has been sort of playing these last few weeks. There is something about the very relaxed stance and sort of tenor 
of Keir Starmer's questions in the last two or three weeks. The guy that said, in hindsight, he now appreciates it was a party. <laughs> we, we, we've discovered the real Captain Hindsight, haven't we, Mr Speaker? Where people have been saying, look, there's a lot of pressure on him. If it's an open goal, there's pressure on the striker to score. He has looked very relaxed to me, more than normal. And I think that's because he feels he's in a win-win here, which is... It's a win for him if Boris Johnson goes. He got the scalp. He removed a Tory prime minister. But if he leaves an injured, limping prime minister who, yes, has the command of his MPs, but out there in the country is sort of a joke figure and is no longer trusted, you know, and and, and I noticed the sheer nerve of the prime minister using the saying that this government is trusted he then went on to say trusted to deliver but you know you'd think he would avoid that word but no if they if 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 Keir Starmer thinks that there's Boris Johnson limping ahead who will forever be associated in the public mind with breaking rules he set for everyone else well that's a very beatable opponent at a future general election so I wonder if Keir Starmer's to my mind newly relaxed demeanor suggests someone who thinks win-win yeah, I think you might be right. Somebody said to me recently, who's in his sort of close team, that he's he's really started to enjoy being Labour leader in a way that he he hadn't. I think up to now, I think it had been a bit of a slog, and I think yeah, I think that's right. And he was sort of making little quips at PMQs today, which I think he didn't he, used to do, did he? I mean, he those little you know. off the cuff things. I mean, I noticed he didn't do one of the big blockbuster emotional questions, you know, mentioning the Queen on her own or reading a letter from a constituent who couldn't celebrate the birthday of a dying relative or or something of that nature, even though other MPs have been doing that on social media and so on. He wanted uh, Boris Johnson on the record saying that if he had misled Parliament, yes, he would have to resign. And he got that. And even though uh, there were no fireworks with that, I thought to myself, maybe that's what he came for and he got it. Um, And so, again, you know, he wins if he gets that. He wins if he gets a big emotional charge. Either way, it kind of works for him. Yeah, Boris Johnson tried to tell him at one stage that he was a, a, a lawyer, not a leader. But you wonder whether at the point at which you've got the prime minister being investigated by the police, perhaps what you want is a, is a lawyerist leader of the leader of the opposition. Right? I thought that was such a risky line for Boris Johnson because I, I have, and I can say I thought of it straight away because I did. I tweeted it the second I'd heard it. If I was Kirsten Armour, I'd have got up and said, "Don't knock lawyers, Prime Minister. Pretty soon you might need you one. Might need one, yeah. Um, be, exactly. You know, because because yeah, I thought it was it was playing with." fire but that's partly what the Tories like about Boris Johnson is he is there's a sort of air of danger about him which is he takes risks he says things that make you go is that going to work and it was the same thing by the way uh, and I make this comparison often I know but with with Donald Trump that that is partly what makes certain types of politicians I'm not saying I admire this but it does make them compelling because you think what are they about to do you know that is not something you ever thought with Theresa May you know that there was a, there was no hint of danger about her performance with is she going to go off beast and say something risky and I thought you know even mentioning tax cutting when actually this is a government putting out national insurance which Boris Johnson did he praised his own government as a tax cutting government that was trusted and you think no that's not what it is at all but the sheer kind of chutzpah of it um would you know get fired up some on his own side absolutely it's it's certainly not boring and i don't think it's going to become boring anytime soon jonathan frieden thanks ever so much thank you heather on friday's episode of politics weekly extra jonathan will be talking to our colleague julian borger about what exactly is happening in ukraine and how joe biden is approaching the potential for war with russia listen out for that And make sure to listen back to Monday and Wednesday's episodes of Today in Focus as the team give us more insight 
into what's been a disastrous time for Boris Johnson. After the break, we look into the recent allegations of Islamophobia in the Conservative Party. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Politics Weekly. I'm Heather Stewart. Former Conservative Minister Nusrat Ghani revealed at the weekend that she was told her Muslimness had made Conservative Party colleagues uncomfortable and that had contributed to her sacking in 2020. Under pressure, Boris Johnson ordered an inquiry. Oh good, another inquiry. I spoke to The Guardian's community affairs correspondent Amna Modine to hear more. Hi Amna, it's, it's good to have you on. Oh, thank you so much for having me on, Heather. It's been a very, very hectic few weeks, hasn't it? <laughs> it has in one way or another. I mean, in a way, this is a story that's almost at risk of getting lost in the, the sort of maelstrom this week. But the former Transport Minister, Nusrat Ghani, gave a pretty extraordinary interview to the Sunday Times at the weekend, didn't she? And, and made some shocking allegations. Yes, she did. It was really, really shocking in her interview. Nusrat Ghani said that the government whip told her that her, and I quote, Muslimness was raised as an issue during discussions about the 2020 reshuffle. Now, during this reshuffle, she was sacked as her job as a transport minister. And when she was sacked, she said her status, and again, I quote, as a Muslim woman was making colleagues uncomfortable. And Amna, we should say that Chief Whip Mark Spencer has admitted he was the person Nusrat Ghani spoken to, but he's denied having uh, said the remarks she attributed to him. So she's evidently tried to raise this with the party before. She went to Boris Johnson and she was told to make a complaint within the party's internal complaints process, which for obvious reasons she felt was inappropriate, largely because, you know, she said this was government business. So the internal complaints process is quite similar to other parties. You know, a complainant comes forward, makes the allegation, it's promptly investigated and the decision is taken shortly afterwards. But the complaints process within the Conservative Party has long been dogged with accusations that it's not fit for purpose. In August 2020, young Conservatives in Wales went to the press to urge the party to reform its complaints process. And they were citing a lack of clarity and transparency. And it was worth noting that an independent inquiry last year into the Conservative Party handling of discrimination kind of said that there was clear evidence that the complaint system was in need of overhaul. So, you know, with that uh, being said, it's no wonder she had no interest in going down that path. Yeah, it does seem understandable, doesn't it? Did the Conservative Party do anything to clean up its complaint system after there was that, as you say, this this report chaired by Professor Swaran Singh and it, and it did find there were problems with the complaints process. Is there any th sense that anything's changed? Because what one of the things ministers were saying over the weekend, again, what to her was perhaps you'd like to take this up with the with the party. Mm, yeah, from what we understand and from speaking to Muslim Tories, the party accepted the recommendation that was made from the Singh inquiry, but very little has happened or very little change has taken place. Um, and it's worth noting that this inquiry was described as a complete whitewash from the people who kind of called for it. And while the review said that anti-Muslim sentiment remains a problem, it didn't find any evidence of institutional racism. And that came as a huge shock to Muslim Tories and human rights groups. So is there a sense that there, there, there is a problem in, in the party then, Amna? It sounds as though, you know, we've spoken to other people over the years who've also raised these issues. 
Yes, definitely. You know, Sayyid Awasi is the most famous for coming forward and accusing the party of Islamophobia um, and other forms of discrimination. So this is almost 10 years in the making where every now and then someone comes forward and says there's huge issues within the party and people feel very little has been done. So it's no wonder that huge groups now are turning towards the Equality and Human Rights Office Commission to ask them to intervene. Yeah. And of course, the Equality and Human Rights Commission did look into Labour and its handling of anti-Semitism complaints, didn't it? And, and made a pretty damning report. And of course, the difference there is that it, it's it's sort of on a statutory footing. And so when it makes recommendations, parties are obliged to do something about it. So after initially saying she needs to go through the party process, the, the Tories did make a move, didn't they? And, and they've now said they will carry out a, a cabinet office inquiry into the specific allegations that, that Nusrat Ghani made. Yes, exactly. So in a quite a brief statement from number 10, they said the cabinet office will investigate the facts of the case. Labour followed through to say, you know, we need to see if the ministerial code was broken. In response, Ghani herself said that she wants to see the terms of reference for any inquiry and she wants it to include that everything that was said in Downing Street and by the whip. But cabinet sources are telling The Guardian that the matter is going to be investigated through a standard process using the ethics team. Um, there might be a possibility where they'll look at whether the ministerial code has been broken. But it doesn't seem to be anything that's going to be much more significant. I'm not really sure it's going to meet what people are asking for. No, and for those of us who are sort of keen Westminster watchers, this is the same process, of course, that is, is often used to look at ministers who may or may not have done something wrong. Or, or in fact, it's pretty similar. It's, it's Cabinet Office is the same bit of government that's looking into Partygate, of course. And, you know, the point about it is it's not really an independent inquiry. It's a, it's a bit of government. And ultimately, the person who decides, who looks at the report and decides whether anything needs to be done about it is, of course, Boris Johnson. And in the case of, for example, Priti Patel, who was found to have behaved in a way that could constitute bullying, albeit perhaps unintentionally. Boris Johnson decided that wasn't a resigning matter and stood behind her and kept her on. You know, what one can see why Nazareth Ghani might feel that something something broader would be better or more independent, perhaps. Amna, as you say, it doesn't really tackle this this sense that there's a wider problem with Islamophobia here, does it? No, definitely. And it's no wonder, really, that after the huge pressure that's been piled on the Equality and Human Rights Commission, they intervened um, to say that if this inquiry, they're not satisfied with it, they will use their legal powers to intervene and investigate. As I was saying before, you know, there's a real fear that a lot of this issues around Islamophobia is sanctioned from the top. You know, you've spoken quite a lot about some of the comments that the prime ministers made and other senior uh, conservatives. And this is where the claim is where the Singh inquiry was a whitewash comes from, you know, that an apology was seen as enough for making those comments. And people say, you know, if the leader of the party and the, and the government is allowed to say these things, of course, then in a much more local and grassroots level, they're going to be allowed to say and do what they want. It's almost sanctioned from the top, the fear. Yeah, absolutely. And the chief whip is, of course, a very close ally of the prime minister and and you know, no doubt she would have felt he was he was speaking for the prime minister in in those conversations that she alleges to have to have taken place. All right, Amna, it seems to me like something we should definitely shouldn't lose sight of in in uh, all the other um, sort of chaos that's that's going on this week. And Amna, do you feel that Islamophobia is a broader issue in politics? Oh, definitely. You know, I think a lot of uh, Labour MPs have come forward in the past few months to speak about their own issues of Islamophobia. A lot of it is to do with some of the emails that they get and some of the abuse that they see on Twitter. And when they speak out, they feel like the response that they get is marred with Islamophobia. So this is definitely not just a conservative issue. This is an issue within all parties and frankly, across British society. Amna Modin, thanks very much. Thank you.
And that's all from us this week. I want to thank our guests on an incredibly busy week in Westminster, Jonathan Friedland and Amna Modine. The producer is Amelia Janssen. I'm Heather Stewart. Thanks, as always, for listening. This is The Guardian.